You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. God has graciously given us his word to teach and encourage us in all areas of our lives. So this morning, let's hear what God has to say to us from the book of Proverbs. We have a number of small passages we'll be reading through. So if you'd like to keep up, you can follow along in your own Bible. Otherwise, the passages will also be displayed on the screen. Starting with Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24. The one who will not use the rod hates his son, but the one who loves him disciplines him diligently. Chapter 18, verse 22. A man who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favour from the Lord. Chapter 21, verse 9. Better to live on the corner of a roof than to share a house with a nagging wife. Chapter 22, verse 6. Start a youth out on his way. Even when he grows old, he will not depart from it. And chapter 23, verses 22 to 25. Listen to your father who gave you life, and don't despise your mother when she is old. Buy and do not sell truth, wisdom, instruction, and understanding. The father of a righteous son will rejoice greatly, And one who fathers a wise son will delight in him. Let your father and mother have joy, and let her who gave birth to you rejoice. Now, families um, come in all shapes and sizes. Um, They all have their own little quirks and their own little cultures and experiences. Uh, Take, for example, the healers. Um, You have Bandit, um, Chili, Bluey, and Bingo living out their happy family life as they face life's ups and downs. Or perhaps the Toretto family, who went from a street racing family to a family that fights against terrorism. Or take the Ma family, who grew up in the west of Sydney, where gang wars and shootings were a daily occurrence. You can guess who I am in that picture. If we were to compare these three families, whether fictional or not, we would see that they all have different experiences. We would differ in what we call family, we would hold different values and virtues, and we would all communicate in the family differently. But we all come from different families, don't we? And for many of us, our experience of family has been mixed. For some of us, Our families have been supportive, for some of us not so much. Some of us families have been a positive influence, while for others, families have left a deep scar. Now whether you've experienced of your experience of family is positive or negative, I am sure that we all want to be part of a happy family. 
whether that be your birth family or the family that you started when you married your spouse or the family that is made up of your closest friends that you can trust. I'm sure we all want to be part of a family that makes you feel supported and warm, a family that is characterized by joy and by love. But how is it that we can have a happy family despite what we see in the world? or even experience ourselves, how can we have a happy family when the brokenness of relationships runs so close to home? Well, the Bible actually has much to say about family, and the book of Proverbs is not any different. Proverbs gives us wisdom in navigating the different relationships in a family. Uh, It doesn't give us a comprehensive list, but it does give us wisdom in some aspects of marriage, in how we parent, and how we relate to parents as children. But most importantly, the book of Proverbs points us to something far greater, something that becomes our compass as we navigate life with family. So to help us uh, through understanding about these relationships, I have three points for us. Uh, They are one, a good thing from God, two, training and honor, and three, brought into a family. But before we dig into what the Bible reveals to us in the Bible about family, I actually want to spend some time mentioning two things. First, I know there are many people in this room that are in different life stages, that some of us are married, some of us are not, some of us want to get married, some don't, some have kids and some of us don't, Some want kids, and some of us don't. But can I just say that just because you aren't in a particular life stage, it doesn't mean what Proverbs teaches you about the different dynamics in relationships in a family is not beneficial to you. It doesn't mean that these words aren't for you, because first of all, all of God's word is beneficial for our soul. But it's also beneficial for us as we love and care and speak into our brothers and sisters' lives. So can I encourage you that as we delve into Proverbs, that as we hear God's word, that we first apply it to our own hearts, but we also think of it as a way for us to mature in our faith as we mature one another in our faith as brothers and sisters here at Cross and Crown. The second thing I want to bring up is this. I recognize that what is going to be said might actually be painful for some of us. That a happy family is far from the reality that you have experienced. Now, I want to recognize that up front here, and I really want to extend my hand and my heart out to you. And so I want you to know that as I preached this sermon, I had you in mind. And that it's my aim to speak truthfully and faithfully from the word of God. But it's also to be sensitive to your experience. And so with that in mind, um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that your word is true and living and that it's beneficial for all of our souls. So as we come into your word today in Proverbs, help us understand your word, transform our hearts, and move our hands so that we can live in light of your grace. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. 
So at point one, a good thing from God. Now, ever since the 1970s, the Australian population has almost doubled. Um, Yet the number of new registered marriages per year has stayed the same, if not declined. Uh, According to the Australian Institutes of Family Studies, in the 1970s, uh, there were, oh, in 1970, there was a total number of 116,000 new marriages, whereas in 2019, there was only 113,000 new marriages. Now, this isn't to say that the society has moved away from the idea of relationships, because with just a flick of the TV or a quick search on the Netflix, you will find countless shows like this. So we live in a dichotomy. On the one hand, people don't want to get married because they're either scared of lifelong commitment or they reduce marriage to be something so unimportant that it doesn't really matter to any, uh, mean anything to them. But then on the other hand, we're discipled by our programs to believe that to be fully human, to really experience life to its fullest, we must find someone and sometimes find anyone to make us complete. But despite what our society might say, what Proverbs shows us is that marriage is a good thing, but at the same time, it's not the ultimate thing. Proverbs shows us that marriage is a good thing from God, but it's not what makes you complete or whole as a person. Proverbs 18.22 says that a man who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. In Proverbs 30.18-19, it says, Three things are too wondrous for me, for I cannot understand. The way of the eagle in the sky, the way of a snake on a rock, the way of a ship at sea, and the way of a man with a young woman. You see, there is something special about marriage. In the good order that God has created, marriage is a blessing. It is a wonder as to how a man and woman can enjoy life with one another as one flesh. But Proverbs, at the same time, is not elevating marriage to be the end-all, be-all of life. I suspect that many of us we are more in danger of idolizing relationships and marriages, thinking that it will make our lives whole. As we look around to our friends, as we consume any sort of media, we are told that we are missing out if you don't have someone by your side. But the book of Proverbs makes it clear that marriage is not the goal of life. It's a good thing, but it must be done in wisdom. And the wisdom in Proverbs is not so much about how spouses should treat one another, but it actually has much to say about finding the right spouse. Proverbs often warns against marrying unwisely and coming into marriage, believing that it was created to feed our desires and longing. Proverbs 12.4 says, A wife of noble character is her husband's crown, but a wife who causes shame is like rottenness in his bone. Finding a noble spouse is good. It's a crown. It is a reward for those who hold dearly to their spouse, who love them, support them, and work together with them. Their marriage can be celebrated by all. 
and it can be enjoyed. A spouse of noble character is a joy to have, but on the other hand, a spouse who brings shames, whether that is acting unwisely, not working together in marriage, or does things according to their own accord, or who's promiscuous, abusive, is someone who just sucks and rots all the life out of their spouse. Proverbs 21.9, as I heard people giggle at this, better to live in on a corner of a roof than to share a house with a nagging wife. Now, it's a wise thing to say here that this isn't just directed to wives. Um, understanding the context that this book is, our Proverbs is primarily written from a father to son, explains why wives are hit, written here. So what this Proverbs is actually trying to get at is about the nagging wife is both true of husband and wife. And you can almost imagine the scene, can't you? On one end, you have a spouse always complaining about something. Why hasn't this been done? Why is that placed over there? Why did you spend so much money or why did you hang out with that group again? And then on the receiving side, there is a spouse who is always looking for a secluded place to find peace and relief. You see, we are painted a picture of a spouse whose marriage is characterized by grumbling and moaning. And it's so tiresome that the spouse finds it better to be in the corner of a roof than to be around the one who they married. The wisdom that Proverbs provide us is that we need to marry wisely. And it actually pushes against the grain of our time. And it shows us that it's actually better to be single than to be unhappily married. That it's actually better to be single than to be in a loveless marriage. Though marriage is a good gift from God, it isn't an answer to a happy family. It isn't an answer to your loneliness or the need of affection. Just because someone ticks the boxes or meets some requirements doesn't mean that you will find a happy life. It won't mean that you will find a happy marriage. Proverb warns us against making marriage, making your spouse more than they are. Because when they do, or when we do, we will be met with disappointment. But here's the thing for all of us. No matter whether you're single, married, or engaged, as friends, as we heard last week, we have a responsibility in our friendship to speak to those who are thinking of getting married or already are married. As Adam put it last week, there will be times where we need to stab our friends in the front and to tell them that marrying that person might not be the best thing to do. Or that the, the way that they're acting is actually putting their spouse to shame. That their words and conduct is sapping the spouse's life from them. Is that an easy thing to hear? No. Is that something that needs to be heard and addressed? Yes. Does that need to be done in gentleness and wisdom? Definitely yes. The wisdom that Proverbs gives us is that we need to marry wisely. Now, Proverbs pushes against the, the grain of our time and tells us that we need to be in a relationship. 
It, it, it paints a picture that it's better to be single than to be unhappily married, though marriage is a good gift, a wonder. But it's not the ultimate thing that we must have. And so that, that, that's what Proverbs talks about in terms of marriage, which leads us to our next family dynamic, which is between parents and children. So we're at point two, training and honor. And now, as I reflect on my relationships with my parents and how that evolved over the years, there has been a lot of changes. Uh, when I was a toddler to early primary school, I would listen and trust whatever they say. And then when I was in upper primary, there will still be this childlike innocence, but I'll begin to question what my parents tell me to do. And then there was in my high school years, where I kept things from my parents, and whenever they would show any sign of resistance against my ideas or thoughts, I would shut them off and conclude that they just don't get it, and I know better. And then there was my university and to now, where every year, though we have our differences, I recognize their wisdom, appreciate their care, and we can have a healthier discussion about all spheres of life. The dynamics between parents and children can be tricky. The way that parents and children relate to one another change over time. It changes particularly when the child grows up and enters new stages of life as they grow older and begin to make sense of their world. Or it changes when parents grow older and their bodies begin to get weaker and they rely on their children more and more. And so what wisdom is there for us as we think about this family dynamic? Well, Proverbs, it particularly focuses on how we ought to raise young children and how children, young or old, should relate to their parents. Now, I'm not a parent myself, but from what I've observed in our culture, uh, is that what most parents want for their children is to make sure that they're provided for, to make sure that they have opportunities and that they'll be somewhat successful in life so that they can live with a certain level of comfort. But what Proverbs is primarily concerned about is the teaching and handing over the truth. It's concerned about training our children to respect others and to model to them a life that loves God. But Proverbs here does not so much give us a method to parent or gives us a step-by-step guide, but rather expresses in the, uh, to us wisdom in the why, the aim, the crux of parenting. Proverbs 22, 6 says this, Start a youth out on his way, even when he grows old, he will not depart from it. What a beautiful, beautiful proverb, which I just wish was a promise. But while this is not a guarantee that children that are brought up a certain way will remain that way, it does give us a general truth and encouragement to know that diligent parenting is valuable and has enduring effects. Besides that exception that we probably all know of, isn't it true that who have been modelled a certain way to live have taken the virtues and values into their adulthood? You see, there is an encouragement here as, uh, for the parents 
that if we raise our children in a certain way, they will follow it for the rest of their lives. But how do we do this? Proverbs 23.13 says, Do not withhold discipline from a youth. If you punish him with a rod, he will not die. Punish him with a rod and you will rescue his life from Sheol. And Proverbs 13.24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is the light to discipline him. Now children are cute, aren't they? But they are not perfect. Uh, Children can be uh, stubborn to listen, they can be idle, they can be self-indulgent, they can be hurtful with their words. Just talk to any of our parents that we have right now and ask them what their kids are like at their worst. And what we see here is, and what Proverbs implies, is that if you don't discipline your children, what you are showing is that you don't love them. It implies that you don't care and that they're not worthy of your time and effort. Now, there are many ways, uh, different styles of parenting, and I'm not up here to call out a certain type or style, but however you parent, discipline needs to happen when appropriate. But here is what the proverb is not saying. This proverb does not excuse for any abuse. It is not an excuse for uncontrolled anger. It is not an excuse to scream and hit your kids and neglect them and punish them in a frenzied manner. It is not an excuse for any of that. But what this proverb shows us is that by disciplining your children, by teaching them the good from the bad, you are setting your children to walk on the good path, and in return, you are saving them from a godless life. Disciplining your kids is discipleship. It's a primary responsibility of parents It's about correcting their ways, ensuring that they are growing and maturing as people. This takes wisdom about how and when we discipline, and it takes humility in recognizing who we are as parents. And then there is the child-to-parent dynamic. Now, all of us aren't parents, but we are all children to parents. And there are some things that Proverbs point out to us. Proverbs 23, 22. Listen to your father who gave you life and don't despise your mother when she is old. Buy and do not sell truth, wisdom, instructions, and understanding. The father of a righteous son will rejoice greatly and the one who fathers a wise son will delight in him. Let your father and mother have joy, and let her who gave birth to you rejoice. Proverbs 6.20 My son, keep your father's command, and do not reject your mother's teaching. Always bind them to your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk here and there, they will guide you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you wake up, they will talk to you. For a command is a lamp. Teaching is a light, and corrective discipline is the way to life. 
If this was me back 15 years ago, a young boy in his teen years, this would have sounded like the worst thing. Not only do I have to listen to my parents, I have to wear it, what they're teaching me, like a tie around my neck. I already hated wearing ties. But, but here, the wisdom that we see is that it's not saying that you must listen to every single word of your parents um, that without discretion. That if your parents say turn right, that you immediately turn right. Or if your parents say jump off a cliff, that you jump off a cliff. No, instead, Proverbs is assuming that the father and the mother are parents living in wisdom themselves. And so, so when they teach and when they guide, we know that as children, they are coming from a place of love. That their teaching is trustworthy and worthy to be listened to. And so when we are instructed by our parents, we can wear their words around our necks with confidence. There will be a guide for us, a compass, a map telling us where to go, how to act as we navigate through life. You see, the ideal for both parent and children is to be living in this harmony between them that is actually built upon wisdom. The focus is on each other rather than themselves. They desire to honour one another, the parent through teaching and guiding, and the children through listening. But you see, in all of these relationships, we know that it's easier said than done. We know that what is painted here can seem more of an ideal than a reality. But the Bible offers us good news because there is a reality Christians share that transforms all our relationships and gives us the very reason why and the how of how we can live like a, in a family like this. So a point very brought into a family. And now as I look into this room, I can say for certainty that everyone's experience of family has been a little bit different. Like I said, some good, some bad. Some spouses have failed us and some kids have disappointed us. And some of our parents have neglected us. And if that is you, I am so sorry that you had to go through that. I want you to know that at Cross and Crown, you matter to us. That we're so glad that you're here with us and it's our desire to love you, serve you and walk alongside with you in all of that. And so if you haven't talked to someone already that you trust in this church, please talk to someone about it. Please come to talk to me, or Adam, or the staff. But here is the thing. There is a shared reality between all of us who call ourselves Christians. And and, and that, that is that we are part of a greater family. In the Gospel of John, as the Apostle sets up his account of who Jesus is, he actually writes this. He, meaning Jesus, was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, uh, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name who were born not of natural descent or of the will of flesh, of the will of man, but of God. 
Christians who have put their faith in Jesus, who have given their life over to him, share in the one family. God adopts us as his own children, and we belong to God's household, with God as our father, Jesus as our brother, and the church as brothers and sisters. There is only one criterion to brings you into this family. It isn't about how nice you are. It isn't about your status. It isn't about what you have achieved or even what you can bring to the table. The family that Christians belong to is founded in the life and works of Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, worthy of all praise, humbled himself to become man, to be rejected, to die as an innocent man, but be killed as a guilty man. It is through Jesus that we are brought into the household of God. Now, whether you feel like you have a family or not, know this for a fact. You have a family here. You have a family here in this room at Cross and Crown. The people sitting next to you are not only just your friends. The people sitting on the east and west wing of the church are not people who just attend the same church. They are your brothers and sisters. You are united with them through the blood of Christ. A unity that is stronger than genetics, a unity that is stronger than unconditional support, a unity that is stronger than love. And in fact, the Bible picks up on this and it teaches us about this family dynamic in the church. 1 Timothy 5 says, Don't rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with all purity. You see, in our unity, our relationships between one another move beyond just friendships, but one of family. And so there is a rightness when younger men like me talk to Uncle Albert or Susie to relate to them as father and mother. And then there is a rightness when I talk to Johnny and Ingrid that when I see them, that I treat them as younger brothers and sisters. You see, as we see one another, what we see in one another is a brother and a sister, a mother and a father, loved by God, transformed by Christ, where we get to celebrate the joys together, mourn alongside them the pains, rebuke and correct when wrong, and encourage each other when we struggle. But why does that matter when we think about happy families? Well, that's because being in the household of God transforms the way we live our lives and the relationships that we have. It transforms the relationship between husband and wife, between children and parents, and it transforms the way we see one another as well. And this transformation is not about putting new rules in or changing our behavior but instead it transforms it because we recognize that there is a good order, a good design to family. 
and that there is truth in what we see in the Bible. The way we relate to one another is no longer something based around how you feel that day or whether you think they are worthy of your time, but the way we relate to one another stems from the love that God showed to us when he brought us into his family. We see that this transformation, we see what this transformation looks like in the book of Proverbs. Um, It actually bookends the entire book. Uh, Proverbs 1 7 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, fools despise wisdom and discipline. And then Proverbs 31 30 says, Charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. You see, being part of the household of God shifts the way we see the world, including our relationships. And the way that it transforms it is characterized by the fear of the Lord. Now, fear here is not to say that we live in terror or be scared of God, thinking that he's out there to trip us up so that he can come down with an iron rod. No, fear is a posture is the posture of recognizing who God is. It is a posture of recognizing God for who he is, what he has done and achieved. It is treating God as God and living for him in all our spheres of life. When we fear the Lord, the way we love our family takes on deep, unchangeable substance. It's no longer about you but it's founded on God and what he has revealed to us in his word. You see, when we fear the Lord, our relationships get reordered. It gets placed in its good order and we begin to see each other in ways that's not putting them too high or even too low. Fearing the Lord stops us from making our relationships something that it was never intended to be. Fearing the Lord transforms the way we relate to each other because it teaches us that family is not God and that our family members are people, aren't people, sorry, who you can just throw away. And so can you imagine what that might look like for us as we think about marriages with the fear of the Lord gripping our hearts? When we begin to see that marriage, though a good gift and a wonder in God's creation, wouldn't that challenge the way that ma- for us to see that marriage is not the be or end all? And so, what unlike what society might tell us that we might, might uh, that we must find the one, we will begin to see ourselves, our brothers and sisters, rightly before God we'll begin to make wise choices, sometimes hard choices, but choices that will see you flourish in your godliness. Can you imagine what it looks like for us to be parents with the fear of the Lord set in our hearts? Our relationships with our kids is no longer about I want them to have a good life that is set according to my own standards. But it becomes this child, to me, is a gift from God. 
and I have the responsibility to disciple this child so that they may love the Lord. It changes the way we parent, wouldn't it? It would change the way what we think is good for them, what we would sign them up for, and how we talk to them. The proverb that calls us to start a youth on his way is not primarily about making, them sh- making sure they have good work ethics, but it's ultimately about modeling a life that fears the Lord. Can you imagine what it might mean for us to honor our parents, to respect them and give them honor? And I recognize that for some of us that would be harder than others. And for all of us that would look a little bit different. But at the heart of it, our posture to God will transform the way we see our parents. And can you imagine what that might mean for us as a church? At cross and crown, as the household of God, as family. As we gather as brothers and sisters. As we are called to teach and admonish one another so that we may grow in unity and godliness together. Can you imagine what that will do for our relationships here? So brothers and sisters, can I challenge you on this? Can I challenge you today and to ask yourself and even ask others, how does knowing God, being the father who adopted us into his family, transform the way we live out our relationships? And how does knowing that it is only through the fear of the Lord that we can truly relate to one another as brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers. Can I challenge you to think about that today as we reflect on the family that we have been adopted to with our God as our Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have called us to be your own. We thank you that you have called us into your family where we can call you Father, that we can call Jesus our brothers and everyone here in this room as brothers and sisters. We thank you for transforming the way that we relate to one another and we thank you for the wisdom and the truth that's set in your word about how our family dynamics have been transformed. And so we pray that you will set the fear of the Lord in all of our hearts, that it will be what comes out of us and that it will transform every sphere of our lives. And so we ask, Lord, that you'll help us love our spouses, honor and teach our parents and children and love our brothers and sisters here at Cross and Crown. We ask that your spirit will be at work, that our hearts will be softened, and that our hands and feet will begin to move. We pray this in your son's precious name. Amen.